You know, a lot of times, uh, to be honest with you, the messages that we go through are are things that God is speaking to me about. I'll just be honest with you. Because when you read God's Word, it's not that I, when I'm in my office, I'm preparing a message, I'm thinking just about you. I'm actually thinking about me and you. Because we're all in this together, right? We're doing life together. And we all face difficult circumstances. We all face different difficult situations. And one of the things that's been blowing me away in my time with God, as I read his word, as I see how he interacts in his word, is what's been blowing me away is that for a lot of my Christian life, I really, to be honest with you, operated a lot by cliches, Christian cliches. What do you mean by that? Christian slogans. Slogans. I knew more Christian slogans than I did the word. Because it's the slogans that you hear on the radio. You know what I'm saying? It's the slogans that kind of get you through everything. Like I remember years ago I read a slogan from, from Hudson Taylor, God's will done God's way never lacks God's supply. Then you're like frustrated with God. When you're like, oh, okay, I'll claim that one. Yeah. God's way done God's will never lacks God's supply. God, why am I struggling financially? I'm doing your will. Isn't that what you said? No, he didn't say that. Hudson Taylor said that. But you think he said it. We live by cliches. And we live by false assumptions concerning God about how he sees us and how he deals with us. And so I thought that we would start a new series. Now, I've titled the series, Weathering Life with a Sovereign God. Weathering Life. And I, and I picked an image that I thought would reflect that, an old boat. Now, if you saw the actual picture, it looks pretty beat up. It's got words in front of it now. But that's life. We get weathered. We get beat about by the, what, the waves of life, right? By the stuff that happens. Relationships, work, struggles that we have, health issues. We get beat up, and yet we wonder in the midst of that, God, where are you? Don't you know what's going on in my life? Or, you can't use me anymore, God. And I thought this would be a great book for us to go through, because... When we look at this book, I'm going to be honest with you, if you operate by Christian cliches, you're not going to understand who God is. But when you look at what his word says, you really understand who God is. Because we're getting ready to enter into a book where we're going to meet people like Hannah, Eli, Samuel, Saul, David, Joab, and you realize that when you look at their life, they're just like you and I. We have this perception that people in the Bible are perfect and wonderful and great, and they do all things right, and they live by cliches, therefore we need to live by cliches. No, these people weren't perfect. These people were sinners. These people messed up. These people did wrong. And these people somehow had a God who interacted in their lives and still loved them and cared for them and still used them. Isn't that interesting? That's what we're going to look at. 
And we're going to start today with Hannah. Hannah is a lady who is an Ephraimite, and she's carrying a stigma. You understand what a stigma is, right? A stigma is that which marks you. In fact, I'll, I'll talk about it for a little bit. It's really what we identify ourselves by sometimes, especially if you have one. If you have a stigma, you, you identify yourself by your stigma. And what we see there is, number one, we cannot escape being defined by our perceived failures. This is the first thing I want you to see. You and I cannot escape being defined by our perceived failures. And that's especially true the older you get. Because the older you get, the more failures you rack up. Do you understand what I'm saying? The more goals that get busted. The more dreams that you don't see materialized. But we cannot get beyond the stigmas of the stuff that we go through. And we define ourselves by that. And here's what happens. We think God sees us that way. We think God sees us and perceives us in terms of our stigmas. Does everybody understand what a stigma is? So here's my second point. This is the stigma or the shame we carry. Another word for stigma is shame. Now it's interesting. You know, we live, I can remember, if you're older here, if you would just go back with me in your mind, if you're older here, go back with me 40 years. Go back with me 50 years. It may have been even when you were a kid. Just go back with me. I want you to think for a moment. Back then, the culture, there was the word shame being used in our culture. And people wouldn't do things for fear of bringing shame. Shame on who? Shame on themselves, shame on their family. They, they were fearful of shame in the community. Do you remember that? That's 40, 50 years ago. All right, you remember that? Now you fast forward to 2019, we don't ever hear anything about shame. We've, we've actually have a culture now where we've, quote, eliminated shame. Quote, that, let me just say, we, we haven't eliminated shame. You can't eliminate shame. That's what stigmas are, or our shame. But we have a culture where we no longer want to talk about it. Where there is no such thing as shame. We try to, we try to live in a fantasy world that says there is no shame. But that's, that's what all it is. It's the fantasy world. The fact of the matter is, is we still carry our shame. In fact, shame is coming back big time. Shame's coming back into our culture. What do you mean? Well, all you gotta do is look at Facebook. You ever seen somebody be taken to task on Facebook? They're shamed on Facebook all the time now, right? Shame's coming back. And what is it? It's the stigma. It's how we identify ourselves. And our culture now wants to use shame to control people. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the shame you and I carry, especially the shame that we carry because we think that that's how God sees us. Because we define ourselves by our what? Our failures. Our sins. Do you know what I'm saying? I can never be used of God. And I'm going to be honest with you, folks. Let me just go back 30, 40 years. I can go back 30 years of my Christian life. The church had a good way of helping you to feel that shame. 
helping you to feel that way. Because we have different levels, and you can't go there if you're carrying that. Right? Now, what are you getting at, George? This seems like an awful long introduction. What's going on here? Well, I want to talk about the shame and the stigmas that you're carrying today. I want to talk about it through the life of Hannah. Now, in Hannah's situation, she's going to be able to eliminate that stigma, but that's not going to be true for everybody here. I don't want you to enter into this message that we're entering into thinking that God can remove your stigma. He can't remove your stigma till you go to be with Jesus. But he can get you through it. And that's what I want to look at today. I want to look at through the life of Hannah, understand the shame and the stigmas we carry, but understand that God can bring you through it if you only do one thing. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to look with me at chapter 1. Uh, we're introduced to a guy by the name of Elkanah. He's an Ephraimite. And I want you to notice verse 2. And he had two wives, and the name was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peneah. Yes, it's called Peneah. How do I know that? I have a book that tells me how to translate these words, and this is the actual translation. Because normally I would try to wing it, but I've been told, quit winging it, do the word. That's why I skipped verse 1, okay? <laughs> Peneah. Thankfully, I don't have to repeat her name again, okay? But Peneah had children. Hannah had no children. This man went from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever it was time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he gave portions to Peneah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year that when she went up from the house of the Lord that she, that she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting by the, do sitting by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord, and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, Lord, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So it happened that as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought that she was drunk. So Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? 
Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief I have spoken unto now. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, for the Lord of Israel grants your petition, which you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And so it came to pass that in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I asked for him from the Lord. Amazing story, isn't it? Now, I already told you that this is an amazing story. We're going to learn some lessons here, but I need to tell you, don't take any of this as a promise. It's in God's hands about your life, okay? But let's talk about it for a moment. First of all, I want to talk about her burden. She's carrying a stigma. Does everybody understand what the stigma is in her life? She can't have kids. That's a pretty powerful stigma. It's even powerful in our culture. One of the things that I've noticed, you know, I've been a pastor for over 20 years now, and I've interacted with couples. And, 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 and to be honest with you, when they struggle having kids, that is a stigma in their life, and they're, they're burdened by it, and it's a pain. And one of the things I've also noticed is that sometimes the rest of us are stupid. What do you mean? We'll say things like this to them. Well, when are you guys going to get the thing going? without even knowing that maybe they're already trying and they can't. And all we're doing is inflicting pain. Sometimes we need to be quiet, right? Enough being a pastor. Here's the thing I want you to see. She's carrying a stigma, a very real stigma. And here's some things I want to point out to you. I want to point out four things about the stigma she's carrying. And you and I can relate to these. Number one, here's the first one. It was characterized by public shame. The fact that she couldn't have a kid was a public shame. You better believe it in their culture. You and I don't live in a culture like that, although there are cultures like this around the world today. In their culture, it was very important for the wife to have a child. Do you understand me? It meant status in the eyes of the other women in her community. It also meant status in the eyes of the community in general. And what was more important in anything, especially in a Jewish world, was that you had a male child. That you didn't just have a baby, but that you had a male child. So here she is. She's carrying the shame of not having any kids. And to make matters worse, here's how the public shame is expanded. Her husband, who loves her more than anybody, needs to have a child. So if he can't get it through Hannah, guess what he does? He gets a second wife. Now, I'd just like to be the second wife. The only reason he married you is so you can have kids. That's what he's doing here. But if you're Hannah's situation... You're carrying public shame. 
You've got a stigma. You're, it's like wearing a t-shirt. I can't have babies. That's what's going on here with her. So it was characterized by public shame. Here's the second thing I want you to see. We see it in verse 6. It is the source of continual harassment. Look at what it says in verse 6. Her rival. Now who would that be? The second wife who has babies, who has kids. What does she do? She's continually mocking and harassing Hannah. She's like pouring salt on the wound because of the stigma that she's carrying. This is the thing I want you to see about the stigmas and the shame that we carry. It's sometimes, it's not just that we have to carry it and we're embarrassed by it in front of everybody else. The problem is, is that it's sometimes the source of people harassing us. Ever had that happen to you? Ever done something you truly regretted, wish you could forget it, but every time you're with a group of people, guess what they bring up? Well, aren't you the one who did this? Yeah, I'm trying to forget that. And, and here's what happened. It's the same people all the time. And then sometimes, when you, especially if you go to a family room, hey, I remember when you did that. And you're like, Especially, the next time I go, I'm avoiding them. Or you don't go. Why? Because of the harassment. Isn't it interesting? That's how Satan sometimes attacks us, isn't he? He knows just the right people to kind of jab at your wound. Because you're carrying that stigma. You're carrying that shame. It was a source of continual harassment in her life. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Here's the next thing. Others tend to trivialize our stigma and shame. It's a big thing to you, right? You're carrying it. It's a weight on your shoulder. And it's like the thing you can't seem to overcome. It's the burden you carry. And it's like the thing that defines you. And when you talk about it with somebody else, they trivialize it. Oh, come on. Just get over it. You can deal with it. In fact, I just love this passage. I was wanting to bust out laughing when I was reading it. Look at the response of her husband. Like, you could tell he's not cluing in here. Look at what he says here. Look with me, verse 8. It's wonderful. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Notice the famous statement he makes here. Am I not better to you than ten sons? Duh. He thinks he's it. He truly doesn't understand what's going on in her life. Her identity is not found in who her husband is. Her identity is found in what? Having kids. Do you understand? He doesn't clue in. And he's a perfect example of the kind of people that we interact with all the time, right? They trivialize the shame and the stigma we carry. You've experienced that, haven't you? They trivialize the shame and the stigma we carry. Now, here's the final thing that is that is just like the, the salt that's poured on the wound. Here's the final thing that just blows us away. 
It's what people who know Jesus, the people who know God, how they interact with us. Look at what happens. She goes to the temple, it tells us in the passage. She's praying, she's pouring out her heart, and as she's praying, you ever been like this? You've been so, you just like are just talking, but you're not talking. Your lips are moving, but it's just you're, you're pouring out your grief. There's, there's no words being said. That's what's going on here. This is the pain and the stigma she's carrying. And Eli, the high priest, sees her. And guess what? He thinks she's drunk. In fact, if you look at verse 14, he says to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away that wine from you. Here's the point. Our stigma and shame is often misunderstood by the spiritual. Hey, um, let, me, let me figure out how to say this. Truly, the one place that people should be able to go and find acceptance and relief from their shame and their stigmas should be where the people of God gather, right? Should be, right? But sadly, it's not. It's actually the one place where we judge the most. Where we stigmatize the most. Where we heap on the shame. And see, and, and that's the burden of the one who carries the burden and shame and the stigma. Is they feel isolated. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? They feel alone. Because all they see is the burden they carry, the stigma they carry, the shame, the guilt. And that's where Hannah is. I mean, I, I, it doesn't say in the passage, but it had to make her heart just think, sink. She's there pouring out her grief to God, just pouring out her heart. She's wanting to hear from God. And the guy who's leading the whole kitten caboodle, the high priest, says... Are you been drunk? Get away! Get your what's the matter? And he's like mis, totally misreading her. Only piles it on, doesn't it? Hannah shows us life, right? Hannah shows us life. I mean, what we see here with her is life. Public shame. Being harassed continually because of it. Being misunderstood and trivialized by others. And even having it poured on by the religious, the spiritual, right? That's, that's, that's where we're at, right? What do we do with that, George? What do we do with that? How do I cope with that? Because I'll be honest with you, that is so intensely a burden upon you. And we're not immune from it. I, I have, there, there are stigmas that I carry that I wrestle with. My wife knows them. I talk to her about them. And 
there are stigmas that you carry, and we're like, well, how do I deal with this? This is where God's word comes in. This is where we see something from Hannah's life. Now, what Hannah does is actually something that can be an encouragement to you and I as we deal with the burdens and the stigmas that we have. Now, it turned out great for her, okay? It turned out wonderful for her, but that doesn't mean it's going to turn out wonderful for you. But what she does can help carry you through it. Do you understand? Can help give you relief as you're carrying the stigma and the burden. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can't change things. Everybody understand that? You can't change things. You can't go back and start over with a clean slate. We'd love to do that, right? No, I would. Problem is, is as I get older, which where do I go back? There's so many places now, right? And who's to guarantee that you, even if you went back, you wouldn't mess up somewhere else? So let's look at Hannah. We're going to see that what she does, she prays. She talks to God. See, that's the answer, is open, honest conversation with God. In fact, look with me. Let me, let me just go back. Verse, well, let's go back. I, I said verse 10, but let's go back to verse 9. And so Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking. Now Eli was sitting by the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. Here it is, verse 10. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Look at verse 13. Now Hannah spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Here's what I want you to see about her prayer. Now when I talk about prayer here, I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep prayers. God bless the missionary prayers. I'm not talking about those kind of prayers. I'm talking about real, honest praying. Here's what I want you to see. She sought God with an all-encompassing intensity. What do you mean all-encompassing? She sought God in a way that her emotions were involved, her body was involved, and her soul was involved. Do you understand what I'm saying? She was pouring her heart out to God. She was weeping. She was crying out to him in, in such a way that she could no longer speak, but her lips were moving. It affected her every whole life as she was praying. She was pouring her heart out to God about what was going on in her life and how she needed him. When's the last time you prayed like that? About your stigma. About your shame. When's the last time you were honest with him? I'm going to be honest with you. We live, because we live by cliches, we don't get serious anymore because we think life's Christian cliches. It's not. Life is a relationship with a living God who loves you, who does everything for you, who understands the pain that you carry. He just wants to talk with you. He wants you to be honest with him. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Do not respond to my question in a visual way. 
Just respond in your heart, okay? All right, listen to me. Here's a question. Are you carrying a pain right now that is intense and real and nobody else knows it, but you're carrying it? Are you carrying it? It consumes your thoughts. You are wanting something so bad, but it's not happening. And you're carrying the stigma on. Is that where you're at? Now, let me ask you another question. Have you talked to God about it? Oh, yeah, George, I've talked to God about it. And he goes, God, can you help me with my problem? God, can you take my... But he doesn't answer me. No, no, I'm not asking if you just mentioned it to him. Like if I see Brad in the hallway, Brad says to me, Hey, George, how you doing? Oh, I'll, it's been a rotten day. But I keep going on. No, that's not... So I told him I had a rotten day. Brad's like, oh, well, hope you have a better day. See ya. No, have you sat down and said to him, I can't go on. The pain is too intense. The shame is overwhelming. I wish I could make it right, but I can't, Lord. I need your help. Have you been that real with him? That's the third question. Have you been real with him? She sought God with an all-encompassing intensity. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what I realized, you know, years ago, we, I've mentioned it a few times even here in my ministry here, is about how the old-timers would talk about praying things through. You've heard me mention that before, about they would pray things through. Now, I'm realizing that they didn't just pray until it happened. They prayed with an intensity. They prayed, recognizing that there was only one person who could answer them. So help me. Are you praying? Are you being honest with God? Are you... Are you pouring out your soul to him? Here's the second thing I want you to see. She gets an answer. Eli says her prayers are heard. Verse 18 talks about then that she went away and ate and her face was no longer sad. Here's the point I want you to see. She was comforted in knowing that God heard her. She had comfort in knowing that God heard her. She came to a place where she felt like she broke through. Now, at this point, she still doesn't know that the answer is going to be that she's going to get pregnant and have a kid. Do you understand? She just knows that God heard her. That, my friends, is what I need you to understand. You're not necessarily going to have God remove the stigma. I think the relief comes that you and I need is knowing that he what? He hears you. He knows. He understands. That's why Paul would say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
You ever prayed to the point that when you prayed, you even didn't you didn't have an answer, but what you had was was a peace that just blew you away, and you knew, okay, he didn't tell me what was going to happen next, or even tell me what I needed to do, but he just told me he's there. That's what's going on with her. That's what I want you to see. Folks, the stigmas and the shame we carry will ultimately be removed when we go to be with Jesus. But in the meantime, he will carry you, but you got to go to him. you got to pray to him. you got to seek him. Sometimes daily, sometimes, folks, hourly. Sometimes, you know what this is like, even every moment. Because the stigma and the shame is real. So let me give you a couple things. Number one, stop trying to cope with your shame. What? You heard me. Stop trying to cope with your shame. What do you mean? Well, here's the thing. The way that we are supposed to cope with it is we're supposed to go and pray about it and seek God with an intensity till we know that he hears us. But what we do in the meantime is something different because we don't want to do that is we try to look for other areas to cope. Food. Food. Alcohol. Work. Kids, hobbies, drugs. I can go on and on. And why we engage in them is that we're hoping that somehow that will bring the peace to us in the midst of the turmoil that's going on in our lives. And it may bring a momentary peace. But if you notice, it never lasts. If anything, it only amplifies the pain. Quit trying to cope that way. Stop it. Stop it. Here's the second one. Find the peace that only comes with being honest with the Lord. Find the peace that only comes with being honest with the Lord. That's the only place you're going to find the peace. Folks, the only place you're going to find the peace and the relief from the shame and the stigma is Jesus. But you've got to go to him and you've got to ask him for that. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's the only place. You know, I, I, I've shared this before, but I, I, it's so real to me. I, I think back to a time when I was in turmoil and, and was in the first church. And, you know, Larry and I were in this church in Canada, a church plant. And that was four years of intense, uh, it's just unbelievable if you heard the stuff that went on. But, and I remember... I, I was trying to hold it together there. I was trying to do what I can to move the church forward. And and I remember Lori would put 
Maddie and Foss to bed because they were wee little. And uh, then then we would talk a little bit, and I would say, you, you go on ahead to bed. I, I, I need to pray. And then I would pray, and I would just pour out my heart. God, God, give me wisdom and how to know it through this person. And God, let me know how to handle this situation. And, and I would pour out my heart to God, not out loud, but in my heart I would pour out to him. And, and, and I would always, it would blow my mind, I would always have a peace. God would overwhelm me with his peace. And I could go to bed and get up the next day, and all the stuff break loose again. And he never tell me what would happen or what was going to happen, and he never tell me what to do, but he would just give me a peace to get me through the next day. To tell me I'm with you. you got to find it on your own, folks. And the problem is, a lot of us, and I'm including myself there, we know where the peace is, we're just not seeking it. We know that it rests in the hands of our God, we're just not seeking it. He's willing to give it to you. He's not going to tell you what's going to happen. He's not going to make everything right. He's not going to remove all the problems. He's got a purpose for whatever's going on. But he's got the peace, but you have to what? Seek it. So pray. Talk to him. Be honest with him. Let me pray for you.